0: Missing chances to study together a little bit more. Uh, we've had some good opportunities, and I know a lot of you have been hosting some different things that are going on uh, in your homes and just during the week. But isn't it a great feeling just to be back here on a Sunday morning? Uh, I wasn't sure if my alarm clock would know it or not, but it it uh, got in sync pretty well, and uh, so we are here. I know I've been praying for our Bible class teachers uh, and all of our families just coming in and being a part of this. So hopefully. Uh, this is a great start uh, to something new as we begin studying together, not just in this class, but all of them, uh, just bring back fellowship and a chance for us to dive into the Word of God. And so, I don't know, I'm just very excited about this, and I hope you are too, and I, uh, appreciate you being here as we study together. Before we begin our lesson, let's pray. Hey, Father, we come before you and thank you so much for the life that you have blessed us with, the opportunity that we have to be in your presence every day, but especially as we get to come here as a family as we start uh, new studies together, that you will be with all the teachers, that you'll be with those that are uh, working together, that we'll be able to present your word in a love and accurate way. God, we thank you so much for giving us your word, that we can study it and know what we need to do for our lives. Pray that you'll be with the church here, be with the, the elders and leaders in whatever capacity that you will just continue to bless them. We love you so much, and we praise to you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to be looking at uh, over the next uh, three months, few weeks, is looking at the old law. Um, and I've been trying to think about how to present this information uh, because I love studying the Old Testament. Old Testament is one of my favorite sections of the, the scriptures to get into because I like it because I don't do it enough. You know what I mean? Is that I look into some of these Old Testament stories and I start reading some of these passages and I realize, oh man, I've never noticed that before. And kind of what led me to this particular Set of lessons is studying the law itself. Now, if you have started off in your Bible readings for the year and you decide, you know what, I'm going to read through the Bible in a full year, a lot of you are excellent at that. I am a terrible uh, person to sit down and just say, all right, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to walk all the way through. I usually skip around. I'm like, all right, I'm going to study this book this time or I'm going to do this one this time. But if some of you have started off the beginning of the year and you said, you know what, I'm going to work through The Bible, I'm going to start in the book of Genesis, and I'm just going to read all the way through. We usually get about halfway through the book of Exodus, and we're like, oh, this is tough. I mean, like, I I know the tabernacle was important, but, you know, knowing the thread count, (laughs) you know, that that gets pretty challenging. Then you get to Leviticus. Look, I'm all about eating. I'm all about uh, appreciating what people have done, but to understand the exact intricacies about how a dove should be split in half. And I get a little distracted on that. It's like you uh, look at the book of Numbers, and you're like, man, numbers. <laughs> like, you know, this is just really challenging to work through this. And then you get to the book of Deuteronomy, you're like, literally, I just read this. Like, it's just telling it all over again. And here I am again looking at all of these laws. Sometimes we can get discouraged. And that's part of this process of us maybe being detached from the Old Testament. Now, you think about the Israelites. They were so inundated in it, they determined their entire life. Literally, their government, their household, uh, how they handled their diets, everything was determined by the law. So they needed to know it inside and out. And they made a practice of that. We see Jewish leaders that would memorize the entire Old Testament law, the Torah, in its entirety, and they'd be able to repeat it. I love that, and it's so fascinating to me. I love that when uh, a lot of these things we're going to see, but when a king of the Israelites, when he would first become king, you know what one of the things was that he had to do? He had to sit down with the Old Testament. He had to sit down with the old law, and he had to write out a copy for himself. And you can see that in the book of Deuteronomy. One of the things that we're going to talk about is like, look, if you're going to be governing these people, if you're going to be in charge of them, you better know what you're talking about. And so he had to sit down and write out a copy of it. I guess if we were going to compare that to us today, would we be willing to sit down with the Gospels? And we're going to take a notebook at the beginning of every year, and we're going to handwrite the entire Gospel story. And we know what's in there because we've seen literally every single word. They've give us an appreciation for it. I think our appreciation to the Old Testament law is challenging because a lot of times we just kind of dismiss it and we're like, you know what? Uh, I'm not under that law like the Jews. I understand their appreciation. I understand their government and how it's all lined up. I understand their nation, that they depended on it. And so I can just go straight to the New Testament and I go from there. But what's cool when you study the New Testament is there are so many allusions and references uh, back to the old law. Now, there's a lot, of course, about the Old Testament in general, but specifically about the old law, when you think about maybe the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, I think we need to appreciate it a little bit more. We need to dive into it so that we're not as intimidated by it. And if we can have at least some kind of guidance of what to do when we get in the middle of it, uh, we can come back to it as reference point and understand what is going on here so that when we read Paul in Romans and he keeps talking about the law, I know what he's dealing with. When I read the book of Hebrews, I can lay out the Bible, uh, the Old Testament right next to the book of Hebrews, and I can see how they all line up and I can understand the teaching. That's the purpose of what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, is looking at the law itself, untying some of its uh, challenges so that we can understand it better and so we can utilize it. So uh, just a, a few lesson ideas of what we're going to be dealing with over the course of uh, this class. We're going to be looking today at the nature of the law. I enjoyed diving into it, and really the basis for this study is going to be the book of Deuteronomy. Um You know, because he is retelling the law and it's to a new generation. All these things we're about to see. But I like the book of Deuteronomy because he's going to take all the things about the law and he's going to give us a little bit more breadth into it. He's going to tell us a little bit more about it and why we should appreciate it. And I'm saying we because I do think it includes us today to some extent of understanding this nature of the law that is behind it. Because if God gave it, it was for a reason. And he expected them to follow it. And Jesus would utilize it and he would use it as a foundation And we need to be able to go from there. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn just by its nature that God was willing to give a law, to give commandments, and to tell His people, this is what I want you to follow. And I think there are principles there that are powerful that we can see played out even today because they're universal principles that are founded in the nature of God. And all that will come out after a while. We're going to look at the conditions um, I think there's some really cool things at the end of Deuteronomy where he gives us this pathway and he's like, look, you're going to choose your path. What are you going to do? You're going to follow God or you're going to follow yourself? It's the same thing that we see all throughout the ministry of Jesus. I think specifically about the Sermon on the Mount. You get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus gives us a t- uh, two pathways to follow literally. He said, are you going to go narrow or are you going to go wide? Are you going to be a good tree or are you going to be a bad tree? Are you going to be a good servant that's going to enter into heaven, or are you going to be a disgraceful servant that's going to be cast out? Are you going to be a wise man that's going to build a good house, or are you going to be a foolish man that's going to build a bad one? He gives us these two pathways, and Deuteronomy is the same thing. You get to the end of it, and he says, here are the conditions. You can follow me, and you will receive these things, or you can go against me, and you'll receive this. There are conditions to it, and what will you do? There are also some issues. Um, Not issues in God's actual plan of what he's shared with us, but uh, some things that, Prompts issues through the, the Old Testament because if you read the book of the prophets, you read any of the books of the prophets, you find where they're kind of like the policemen of the law. That's the way I like to think about them. They have to tell the people, remember what God said? Look, how did you end up over here? God told you at this point, way in the very beginning, focus. Be dedicated, but here we are in the book of Amos, and Amos is just ticked at the people. because He's like, look, I just came out of my, my farmlands. I had to come over here and get on to you guys because you have stepped outside of God's will. Did you misunderstand what the law was saying? It was very clear. Did you have an issue with it? What exactly is going on here? And so we'll get into some of those complications. We'll talk about exceptions in the law or what some people may decide is an exception and how God handled those and really what was he he doing with a, a bigger purpose in mind. Then we're going to look at the actual laws themselves and look at some fundamental principles. And this is what I enjoy doing, even teaching it, any kind of New Testament class. You go back to these principles. Why in the world would God say, don't take a young goat and boil it in its mother's milk? Uh, is there a lesson we can learn today uh, about that? You know, I, that's not really a cooking practice that I use. Uh, but maybe that's something that you struggle with and you need a law or a commandment about it. Uh, We're going to look at some of these fundamental things. What's the big deal with these dietary laws? What's the big deal with different types of fabric? What's the deal with uh, sacrifices and how they're supposed to be done? We're going to look at these fundamental principles, and that's going to span over a number of weeks as we look at them in different categories. We're going to look at uh, the law as a precursor to the New Testament. Old Testament law, New Testament law. How do we go from what was given to Moses and taught to the people to what Jesus gives uh, to us today. And we'll talk about that more in depth, Jesus and the law. And then finally, we'll look at uh, the law and Paul. So um, that's what we're going to be approaching as we go through this. And as you can see, there's 11 uh, classes on here and normally a, a quarter is 13, but college students coming back in town in August. And so just know we'll uh, swap out teachers for a little bit in those last couple ones. months, but that's our goal. Uh, If we make it through one of those, I will feel successful. So at least you know what I'm trying to do, and we can work through this together. So as I said, we're going to be talking about the nature of the law. We can read through the book of Deuteronomy, and actually, that's one of the things that um, God told Moses to do with his people. He said, all right, at the end of every seven years, I want you to bring everybody together in the place that I decide, which we know ends up being Jerusalem. He said, I want you to bring everybody together. You know what we're going to do? We're going to read the law. Out loud, and you're going to stand there, and you're going to listen to it. Now, that may seem really daunting to you, and it's one of those things that I come back to him like, I understand, you know. I, I try and read through this, and understand, but to sit there and listen to all these things being read out loud. But people did it. That's some dedication. Ezra, when uh, he was rebuilding the temple and trying to bring everything back into balance the way it was supposed to, you know what he did at the end of. Uh, uh, one of those um, segments in his life is he was working with the temple. He brought everybody together, and from morning until night, they read the law out loud. I love that, and I think we today, as Christians, as a church, need to spend more time just reading the scriptures all the way through. I think it'd be great for us to get together and just say, you know what, we're going to start in Matthew chapter one, starting in verse one, and we're going to read the gospels. And we're just going to sit here and we're going to listen and appreciate. What is being said to us? We need to do it more. Um, and when I think about um, what we're trying to accomplish in here, I, I bought you can get some of these. Uh, I've enjoyed this. I don't make notes in my Bible that I use on a regular basis because then I, I can just think about those. I appreciate Reed talking about it on Wednesday night. He's like, "You know, I've got my Bible, and I wanted to transcribe all of my notes and put them in here. I feel the same way about my Bible. I want the one that is laid out, identical. If there's one word that's off just by a little bit, it's going to throw me off. I'm working on something. But I don't like to mark up in here. But I do like having somewhere that I can mark up. And So what I've done, just a freebie for you to think about, is um, ESV puts out a single book of the Bible in a bound version. And it's got uh, words on one side and then notes on the other. And so as I started working through the book of Deuteronomy, that's what I did. And my challenge for you, as we go through this, if you're going to stick with us in this, do the same thing. Pick the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. I think it's a lot easier to read than some of the other ones and just work through the text. Ask questions. Um, see if you can find some of these uh, common themes that we're going to be looking at today and just read through and mark it up as much as you can. Um, it helps me have a better idea of what's going on here. And so we're going to take a big concept like the law and we're going to try and narrow it down as much as possible and make it easier to manage. Um, and that's the, the whole purpose of this. So the nature of the law, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think about the law itself. A lot of times I look at the Old Testament law, as I said, and I want to easily dismiss them. Like Jesus said, we don't have to follow that. Paul said, let's not worry about it anymore. It actually brought about knowledge of sin, so let's go beyond that. So can I just easily dismiss the old law and just not worry about it? Or should I have some kind of understanding about what's going on? That's our goal today, uh, just the nature of it and how it look. But as I said, I want to talk about the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I want to give a little bit of an outline for what's happening here, because if you have one of those Bibles that is chronological, you can begin in Genesis, and it'll lay out the full story in chronological order. I'll take some of those prophets and I'll pop them down in the middle of uh, the book of Chronicles or in the middle of the book of Kings, and you can see, you know, this prophet was talking to this person or this story was happening here. When I look at just the first five books, the timeline gets a little confusing. Now, Deuteronomy, like I said, is a little bit more easily manageable uh, just the, by way of how it's structured. You look at some of the other ones, you're like, all right, the okay, Moses was here, but now he's here. What What is uh, Barnia? What is uh, Hebron? What is this? Oh, I need to get my map. It gets really confusing. Here are just uh, five points from this book just as you're reading through some chapter headings for you to be aware of. In the first three chapters, there's a recap of Israel's journey. Actually, where we are in the book of Deuteronomy is that we are standing at the Jordan River. Now, they have been wandering for about 40 years in this wilderness. They have finally come out. They've waited for all of the previous generation to die, uh, those that disobeyed originally. And now we are standing at the brink of the Jordan River, and we're about to cross over. And Moses is giving this last pep talk, essentially, saying, look, guys, we're about to go over. Actually, you guys are because I can't enter. And there's a section in Deuteronomy where he, he petitions God one more time. He's like, hey, just want to make sure, am I still not entering? Like, can I, can I come back in? Like, we've kind of wandered through all this. I know I made some mistakes, but can I enter in? God's like, no, that's not going to happen. And we get his farewell address and his death at the end of it. But Moses is telling him, he said, look, we're about to go in. You guys are about to go to battle. And the only way you're going to be successful going into this land is if you stay focused on God. You will get wiped out if you disobey God. But your goal is to go in and wipe out these people that have already disobeyed God. Do you see how those line up together? This commandment that he's given them, you're going into this land, you better be ready for it. Here's where we came from. In the past 40 years, for us, he's going to give us three chapters to condense it down. He's like, this is how we end up in the situation that we're in today. The people that are standing in front of me, he said, you are not the ones that started off coming out of Egypt 40 years ago. All of them have died except for 20 and down. Uh, All of them have died, and here we are standing in front, and the Levites too, right, Mark? That's right. Um, That's something that we've studied and talked about. But you get this recap of Israel's journey. How do we get to where we are? How are we at the brink of the Jordan? And before we go over to the book of Joshua, when Joshua is literally going to step through and enter into this promised land, he's given us a recap of that journey. But he also gives us a recap of Israel's relationship with God. If I were going to pick a handful of chapters for you to pull out of Deuteronomy to go study this week, here's what I would like you to do. Read chapter 4, chapter 6, and chapter 30. Those are very important to get this uh, overview of the book. Chapter 4 has become one of my favorites. I thought it would be 6. You know, we're familiar with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, it's the, the Shema, you know, uh, the Lord our God is one. We are to love him, you know, and that's something that we'd memorize. And you talk about God wherever you go, and whatever you do. But I've enjoyed chapter four because it's really punched my heart. And we're going to be dealing with that today because part of the nature of the law is guiding us to how do we appreciate any law, any command that comes from God if he asks us to do something. And in these few chapters, chapter four to chapter 10, it is this recap of their relationship to God. And it started off on rocky ground. But here they are starting off in a new relationship about to go into the land He's like, look, I'm even going to send you through some trials. We just came up to this part of the river by passing through two kingdoms. And it was a little trial run for them, Sahan and Og. um, That he, uh, He brings them up and he said, look, I'm going to show you exactly what I'm going to do with all this land that you're looking at across the Jordan. These two kings that we just passed through that you just fought against, if you will do exactly what you did here, not a single city over there will stump you. But the only way you're going to do what we did here is to put God first. And he talks about love. He talks about having a soul right. He talks about uh, the heart being guided in the correct way. And this, if God asks you to do something, you do it. It's this trustful mentality. And I think that's what happens in these few chapters. It's this trustful. God says, if you will just trust me, I'm sending you into a land that there's giants in there. I'm sending you into a land that you don't know, but it's going to be okay. But the only way that's going to happen is if you trust me. So he gives us a recap of their relationship with God. Then he goes to uh, how to love God and keep his commandments. And uh, that's where we're going to get those fundamental principles uh, in those chapters where he goes through all those uh, things, that um, all those tiny laws that we're familiar with, the big ones about feast, all that kind of stuff. Then we get to the end, chapter 27 through 30, and it's the blessings and the curses. You do this or you do this, it's your path. You're going to take the narrow, you're going to take the wide. And then the final thing is Moses' farewell, 31 through 34. So just a quick little breakdown, maybe to make the book just a little bit smaller to you uh, as you read it this week and over the next few weeks. Like I said, start off with 4, 6, and 30. And uh, I think you will enjoy that. So here's some other uh, takeaways as we're getting into this a little bit more. And it's, you know, like I said, we got to start big and condense it down a little bit. So the book of Deuteronomy, Moses explains the law. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 5, They're standing at the brink and he's talking about this beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab is where they're at. And Moses uh, undertook to explain this law. If you're underlining, that's a key idea here. Explaining the law. That's a lot different than just telling the law, right? I can tell you what the law says, but to explain it. Why would I listen to these commands coming from God? Why should I trust Him? Why do I think that it's going to go good for me? And there's one of these phrases that we're going to see that is repeated all through the book of Deuteronomy that your life may be lived in this land, that you may have a long life. And so if you're reading through the book of Deuteronomy, you want one of those challenges, you can write this at the top of uh, the book as you start off living life. See where those phrases come together, living life. He said that if you'll do this, you'll have a long life in the land. And it's more than following a commandment. And when we get to the New Testament, what were the Pharisees caught up in? They were looking at just the letter of the law. They were looking at just the words that were there, and they didn't understand the heart matter behind it. Because what did Jesus call them out for in Matthew chapter 23? He said, Look, you guys look like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. You look like you've got everything put together, but what's on the inside? Dead men's bones. He said, It's like a cup. You clean the outside of the cup, but what's on the inside? all the leftovers, everything that you didn't clean. It's like opening up the dishwasher, pulling and not starting and pulling out a cup that's been in there for a while. It's like, you know what, I'm going to use this. He's like, that's what you look like. You look like you're good on the outside, but on the inside, the heart is off. When he explains the law, and what we see in the book of Deuteronomy, it's more than just the words themselves. It's the reason behind them. Why would I do this? Love is a key in understanding that. So Moses explains the law to the new generation that has come out of the wilderness. And as I said, that's where they're standing. They've just come out of the wilderness in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, in the 40th year. Uh, He gives us a time stamp here. But also, let's go to chapter 2, 16 through 18. This is the new generation. If you're just trying to keep notes and find out what's going on. When I keep calling it a new generation, this is what we're dealing with here starting in chapter 2, verse 16. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, today you were to cross the border of Moab of Ar. This is the new generation. All those previous ones of war that were in the wilderness that uh, kept going against God, would not listen to him, would not trust him. They've died out and the new ones are standing here. So that's the first thing uh, for us to see here. A couple of other things. Moses reminds the new generation they are called to a standard of living that is right and good. Go to chapter 6, and we're going to look at 17 and 18. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him in Massah. You shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. As we talk about the nature of the law, and we're we're opening it up a little bit more, so just be patient as we're stair-stepping through. The nature of the law. What is good and right. Now, it is important, God being the creator of heaven and earth, being the designer of everything, if He says something, we need to do it because he can breathe life into people. He brought everything into existence just by the word of his mouth. And so when God presents a word, verbally for these people at this point, but as it's written down for us, because I respect God as a creator, I'm going to do whatever he asks me to do. But there's also something important for us to consider behind the scenes here. A part of what the nature of the law tells us is that it is good and it is right. God will never ask us to do something that is evil and wrong. Do you agree with that? He's never going to ask us to do something that is evil and is wrong. And part of the the issues that we'll get when we look into the law, is how could God ask these Israelites to go in and destroy an entire nation? To kill men, women, children, livestock. If I know that the nature of the law and what God asks us is right and it's good, How do we bring those into balance? But that's what he's telling them here. He's reminding the new generation they're called to a standard of living that is right and good. If you were to take what the Israelites had as a standard, you could go anywhere in the world and function. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. They went into this new place and they didn't have to worry about diseases. They didn't have to worry about dietary issues. They didn't have to worry about getting caught up in false cultural practices that were not right. They had everything they needed for a standard of living. Now bring that over into the New Testament just for a second. If we thought fully and completely just the Word of God, we could go anywhere and we could do anything. We go anywhere in the world and serve God and do what He expects of us. Yes, we don't have those dietary things. We can eat certain stuff, but he, He tells us, look, you can stay away from the practices that will lead to clean, or uh, lead from uh, clean to unclean. That's what the dietary laws were all about. Understanding this difference between what is clean and what is unclean. And we can go into the world and we can see what is unclean. We can see what is clean. We can see what is good. We can see what is right because God has already told us about that. Those are the fundamental principles that are here. And so when God asks us to do something, do we see what is right and do we see what is good? That's what he's always going to ask us to do. The new generation needs a reminder because the previous evil generation... and this new generation needs to be better. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. I'm going to start reading verse 1, but uh, we're going to focus on verse 2. It says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I have commanded you. They need to be better. And the way to do that is focus on God. You start focusing on yourself. You start doing what you want to do. You're going to get in trouble. It's one of the conversations I have with my children. I give them rules. I tell them to do something. And then they decide, but dad. (laughs) But I want to do this. But I have this idea. I have this plan. No, I'm the one that said it. You follow me. There's a reason why. Yes, it may seem like an arbitrary rule that I'm giving to my kids, but it maybe be something that me and Shelby have talked about behind the scenes, and we're asking you to do this because we have reasons, and I may not give them fully to you. You may come to realize what those reasons are later on down the road, but you listen to me. The reason why, you know, if my kids are running and I tell them to stop, I expect them to stop because if they are running into danger and they did not know it was coming and I say stop, they stop, they may not know that there's a cliff coming. They may not know there's a car coming but I see it. When God says, I need you to listen to my commandments, I need you to follow what I'm telling you here. When you start off with, but I, it's not going to go well for you. And that's exactly what happened to the others that died in the wilderness. They had the, but I mentality. God told them, look, I'm going to take care of you, but I want to go back to Egypt. I'm going to provide for you, but I want to go back because there there was food there. Look, I'm going to give you something that you can't even describe. I'm going to give you bread from heaven. The reason why it's called manna is because it means, what is it? They can't tell you what it is, so they, made it, they put a jar of it in the Ark of the Covenant just so you can be reminded. We have no idea what this is. <laughs> but God said, if you'll just trust me and not the but I mentality, I will do things that are amazing. Just listen and trust. The reality is that even this new generation will fail, rebel, and be expelled. I came up with that. I like the sound of it. So that one's free. You can reuse it. Um, But they will end up failing. He's telling them, look, you need to be better. But you get to the end of the book, he's like, look, I'm going to be honest. I know that we're human. And humans fail. We get caught up. We get distracted. And you are going to fail. You're actually going to turn away. And it's going to be really bad. Now, we see the the whole story of the Old Testament. And we look at it and we're like, okay, I know exile is coming. Two different ones, for the Assyrians, with the Babylonians. And when they went into exile, the stories about what they went through, it really makes you sick to your stomach. And there's a passage that we're going to be looking at in the book of Deuteronomy that it'll make your stomach turn inside out because of what they're going to go through. And he's telling them, <laughs> decades, uh, centuries before they go into exile, he's like, look, I'm telling you, if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. Just be aware that when it happens, Who's to blame? It's not like you're going to turn back around it's like, why would God do this to us? I cannot believe that He would lead us into this different nation. I cannot believe He'll allow us to be taken over. He's like, I told you. If you'll trust me, not a single enemy will come against you because I'm fighting for you. As soon as you have the but eye mentality, you're going to get wiped out. And I'm telling you right now, when it happens, do not say who is tempting me that it's God. We are tempted when we are what? Lured? and enticed by our own desires. James knew exactly what was going on in James chapter 1, and it mimics exactly what we see in Deuteronomy and the Old Testament all together. And then they expelled they're going to be cast out. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 31, 24 through 29. We'll look at that passage. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it in beside the Ark of the Covenant Excuse me, and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Now what do we already know is on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant? What three things are in there? There's manna, copy of the Ten Commandments, and then Aaron's rod. And those things are in there as a witness, right? Are you going to trust God? Well, here's a jar of manna. Tell me what it is, and you you get bonus points. Well, we don't know. We just know God gave it to us. Aaron's staff, he led the people, and it budded for a reason because people weren't trusting what was going on, and then the copies of the Commandments. These are the original things that we're all binding ourselves to. They're going to be here as a witness. So he's got the Ark of the Covenant, and now what's beside it? Copy of the law. But look, you don't have to open up the Ark of the Covenant because you can't touch it anyways. Um, but here's a copy so you know what is expected of you. That it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. But look, I'm standing right here with you. And Moses took on, right, this, this great responsibility to lead the people. What was his father-in-law's advice to him? Remember when all these people, uh, they had this law, and they're going through the wilderness, and all these people have these issues. You know, so-and-so's ox jumped out of the fence and it gored uh, this person, you know, who's responsible. And so they would have to come to Moses, and he had to decide, to uh, what do I do with this? But what did his father-in-law tell him to do? To delegate. The delegate share the load. And part of chapter one uh, through three, you get that story again. Uh, He says, look, these are your leaders that you trust. The precursor to the understanding of our elders, uh, part of this leadership mentality that is there. He said, look, I'm standing here and I had to bear the weight of you guys a lot. He even calls it a burden and a weight in uh, Deuteronomy. He said, I'm alive with you and you guys are rebelling right in front of my face. How much more after my death? He's like, if I'm not here to slap you on the wrist, and we already have God's commands, but he's like, look, if I'm not here, what are you going to do? Now, we know that Joshua comes up, and he's a good leader, but Moses was a little bit different in what he did. And once again, something else is going to pop up. He was that great prophet. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it talks about another prophet that is to come. Moses spoke face-to-face with God, mouth-to-mouth. They were right there in front of each other. What God said, he said. And there's a new prophet that's gonna come, Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see God. Because he is the Word of God with flesh on. Let that sink in. When you have an example of God's law lived out in front of you, you follow and learn. And so he's telling him, he said, Look, you guys are even gonna rebel. I'm staying right here in front of you. But when I die, what are you going to do? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And In the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Look, I'm giving you all the positive things. You got all the blessings and cursings. If you're just... Follow God, He will bless you, but here's the reality. We need something more. Now, not more than the law, and this is going to to broaden our understanding when we get to the New Testament a little bit more. We have to have Jesus. The law is not sufficient by itself. It is a guide, a guardian, is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, leading us to Jesus. But Jesus is the full image of God. We follow Him. It's a lot different. So they're going to fail, rebel, and be expelled. So the hope for the people, not just this generation, is that their heart problem will be fixed. We won't read all these passages. You can mark them down. Um, it's a heart problem. It's still the same thing today. When we talk about us following God or not, it's a heart problem. Is our heart right? Are we? Do we have this singular devotion to God? You can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one or hate the other. You cannot be devoted to God and anything else this world possessions, you love God first. Jesus says the same thing. He said you can take all the Old Testament commandments. You can narrow them down into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is you love your neighbor as yourself. Love is key. And the way to love right is to have a heart that is changed to obey God. And they were told about it for us in the book of Deuteronomy but also the prophets, our policemen of the law, they come in and they say, look, God's coming in, he's going to give us a new heart. He's going to change that stubborn heart. And a lot of these laws were in place because of the callousness that people had, the stubborn heart they had. In Matthew chapter 19, people ask uh, Jesus, why did Moses give a certificate for divorce to anybody? He says because of the hardness of their hearts. They didn't understand. But from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus jumps past the law. Although the principles were there, he goes past the law and he says, God had a purpose from the very beginning that man and woman should be together and they shall be one flesh. what God has put together, let no man separate. Now I can go to the law and I can give you some principles of why that is true, but you can see from the very beginning they just needed a slap on the wrist and needed further guidance about what they were doing. So this is what's going to happen. They're going to have a heart that is fixed. So what is this law exactly? When we talk about you know, this big picture, the law, I hope you start seeing some of the nature behind it and what's going on here. When we say the law or the law of Moses, it's more than just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's what God has asked. That's the law. And Moses shared that law. And there's 613 commandments. Uh, you can pull up a list. I thought it was... Uh, I. I've used that as a reference that I know there are 613 commandments that people are supposed to follow. I've never pulled up a list of what they were exactly. And it's interesting if you'll decide to read that. So when we talk about the law, what are we dealing with? In Romans chapter 2, Paul is writing to the Christians that are in Rome. In the first three chapters of the book of Romans, he talks about the problem of sin. And in the middle of it, he said, all right, there are some things in creation Uh, God has shown his divine attributes, his nature, through things that he has created. And people have decided they wanted to worship the creation rather than the creator. And that's where idols come from. And we'll see that as well in the book of Deuteronomy. Why would you worship something that you have control over? We worship God because we do not control him. He controls everything. Why would I make an idol that I can control, that I can control? That's what's going on in Romans. And when you get to Romans chapter 2, he's telling, he said, look, there's this principle of the law that people can recognize. And he says, for all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, those who are outside of Judaism, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires so that they have something written on their hearts, this uh, code of conduct, understanding of morality, these basic fundamental principles. He said, even the Gentiles can recognize what these things are. By nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. It was meant to lead people, to be a light. God made us in a certain way where we can see what is good and right, and we follow it. Those perversions that we see in Romans chapter 1, it's when those things get out of sync. He said, if you can look around at different nations, and they have practices that we agree are against some kind of moral law. You know, why is it wrong to kill? And why do every, gener- you know, why do different cultures believe that? Well, there's something written within us where we can recognize what that is. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. It's a heart thing. While their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ. In Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, he gives a description of what the law is again. He said, To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. There's this premise, the nature of the law, that we can understand, it makes sense. It makes sense that the Creator of heaven and earth would ask us to do something, and He expects us to do it. There's a principle there. But when He gave it to the Jews, He gave them oracles, He spoke these things to them. He said, write it down and let it be a witness. You know the terms of the agreement. There's a contract here. So you don't come before me and say, God, I didn't know you wanted me to do that. I didn't know you didn't want me to go there. I didn't know what you would expect of me. He's like, okay, let's go back to this point. You know, paragraph section, here's what I expected the terms of the agreement, the oracles of God were shared with the Jews. They are without excuse. And that's a theme in Romans chapter 2. You are without excuse because you have everything you need. In Romans 7, verse 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Going from the old law to the new law. Understanding its fulfillment in Jesus. Paul deals with this all through the book of Romans in in a pretty in-depth way. But one, I hope um, we we can see why God would be doing this. That we're released from this so that we can understand righteousness comes from Jesus. Not by our own merits, but by doing what He asks us to do. So, what is God's expectation for obedience? Stop and think about this just for a moment. What is God's expectation for obedience? He has a high standard for obedience, right? If he gives us a command, if he gives us something, it's for a reason. And he would expect us to do something with it. In James chapter 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. So is there really this expectation of God's, wanting us to do the whole law? Did he want perfect people? I I think about the Sermon on the Mount. You must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. What's going on here? Could they have a checklist mentality with the 613 commandments and do it all perfectly? Or did he have a different standard? See, obedience is a full dedication of our entire being. We know that we are going to mess up because we are humans. We are not perfect. We are not Jesus. We are not God. And you see that in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, look, I know these things are in front of you, but because of desires, you're going to step outside of that. When we get into uh, the conditions of the law, we're going to see this a little bit more uh, next week. When God asks us to do something, is it, look, I want full obedience, but I know you're going to fail? I want full obedience, and I expect you to do it. I want full obedience, but I know you're not going to do a single thing. But I'm going to love you anyways. Because people have a challenge between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. I think they're the same. Old Testament God was strict, and he was ready to punish people. New Testament God, is all about love and fairness and justice and whatever you want to do, he's going to love you anyways. How do you meld the two? I think the further we study into this, the more we understand these conditions, the more it will make sense to us. And he's saying, look, if I ask you to do something, there's this expectation you shall do it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 11 through 14. I'm going to make a a very big point from here. Um, So I want you to be ready for this. As I said, I want you to look at this chapter. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. So this is at the end of it. He's told him all the commandments. He's gotten to this point. He said, okay. Uh, This commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. Well, my keynote just went out. It's not too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will send to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. It's like all these things I'm saying, it's not, they're over there. I don't know what they're all about. They're up there. I wish they would come down here. So that's not the case at all. Where are these things? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can They're looking at this and you are like, God, you really asking me all these things? Look, if I ask you to do something for this expectation, you shall do it. And it's not over there that you'll never reach it. It's not over here. It's not up there. It's close to us. It's in the heart. We're going to see Jesus fixing the heart problem. But look uh, at verse 11. For this commandment. We're talking about all these rules and all these statutes and all these commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. But when you get to this chapter, as really what we're going to see in just a second, for this commandment. Is he talking about one singular thing or is he talking about all of them? Every rule or statute can be found in one commandment. Think about this for a second. Everything that God is asking them to do, they are rules and statutes and commandments. But there is an umbrella commandment that is higher. It's not higher in prioritization. It's, I hope you see this conceptually of what he's dealing with here. Maybe this will make more sense. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll advance to it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. Now this is what? The commandment. Singular. But what's part of it? The statutes and the rules. You see here, there is a commandment and there are statutes and rules. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments which I am commanding you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. I love this concept. and It it drew me into the book of Deuteronomy. There is a singular commandment to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Part of, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you read the book of 1 John, you find this concept of love and commandments together. The singular devotion of our mind should be a heart that is connected to God. The commandment that He is asking us is to put Him first. And there are expectations of what that will look like that comes out in rules and statutes and other commandments. But the priority is to love God and you will see why all these things make sense. So when in the Old Testament God says, don't eat this, you'll say, okay, I understand why. In the New Testament when He says, don't touch this, don't go there, don't do that, I understand why. And I am willing to do all of those rules and commandments because I have a priority of loving God first. The conditions of the law will make more sense when we get into that next week. So I appreciate you guys uh, studying, and uh, thank you very much. And if you have any questions or comments, I enjoy talking about it. So we are dismissed.